0: Okay, let's jump into our teaching time this morning. If you don't yet have notes, I think you got them at the door, but there's also some notes up right over there. There's somewhere back there with Chris, and you can, you can sure jump up and grab some notes. And uh, I had a conversation with somebody in our small group that was just heartbroken because they were watching online last week and didn't get a mirror. So if you didn't get a mirror, but you were watching online and you know what the mirror's... Oh, look at what I can do with this. This is awesome. Am I getting you? There. There right there. Vern. Sorry, as if you needed that today. Okay, anyway, you can pick up a mirror and and that'll remind you that you are created in the image of God and you are reflecting his image. Last week was good. This week we're going to be in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and I'm really excited about this. If you're joining us for the first time or if you've been away for a while, we are in week 5 of our teaching series called JPS, and we're talking about this turn-by-turn navigation with Jesus that we find in the chapters of 2 Corinthians, and many of our small groups are reading through 2 Corinthians together, and we're just kinda going chapter by chapter. And uh, last week, we started with something. We we were talking about the veil, and this week, we're gonna pick up with that idea. So if you weren't with us last week, I, I just want to ask this question that I've been talking with other connectors about all week long. And the question is this. How do we share Jesus with unbelievers in a way that they will receive? This has been a question that, that I've been wrestling with myself, and I've had so many conversations this week about this question. Last week I shared with you about the veil that we read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We went back to the Old Testament story where Moses was wearing a veil. And I shared this with you about about the veil. This was Paul's point in chapter 3. The veil, Moses put on a veil over his face to shield people from the presence of God. Now, if you weren't with us last week, I, I want to really encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message, and this is why I had uh, asked Kelly to share about how to find past messages in the app, and, and, and I should have told you why. That would have helped you a little bit. But we do have ADO files, <laughs> audio, audio files. And, and, and video, you can go back, you can look through the app and find our, anyway, I hope you'll listen to last week if, if you weren't with us last week. But this idea of the veil is so important because we all can be inclined to veil the presence of God. Last week I talked about two ways that can happen. Sometimes we are so afraid of God's presence that we put on a veil. I don't know if that's you. But but sometimes, I know in my life, looking back, there have been times when I just didn't want to really stand in the presence of God because I felt so ashamed of myself. And and last week, one of the big things I wanted you all to hear was that you don't have to be afraid. Take the veil off. But also, and this is where we're going to go today, sometimes we wear a veil even though we are radiating the presence of God we, for whatever reason, wear a veil because we are shielding other people from really seeing his glory. I think the biggest reason we do that is because of fear. And so I I encouraged us all last week to lift the veil and let the light of Jesus shine through us. And, And so starting on Monday morning in our prayer group, we started talking about how do we shine the light of Jesus on unbelievers in a way that they will receive. And one of the conversations I was having was with, with somebody in our prayer group who struggles a little bit because her family members aren't interested in Jesus. They don't want to hear about Jesus. They're, I, I, it might be a stretch, but I think they're actually a little bit hostile to the gospel, if you know what I mean. And, and, and so we're asking this question, how do we shine Jesus? for these kinds of people? How many of you have somebody in your life that you would like to shine Jesus brightly into? Okay, so this is a question that we're asking. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 gives us some good insight into this struggle. Now, the verses are going to be up on your screen, but if you want to turn in your Bibles to to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you've got a Uh, If you've got a virtual Bible on your phone, you might want to use that. I'm going to be in the ESV version this week. I I like how these 2 Corinthians verses are put in the ESV. You could choose that one. But let me set this into context a little bit this morning before we start reading in in chapter 4. In chapter 4, Paul... I'm reading between the lines a little bit here, but what we pick up in 2 Corinthians is that Paul is being accused of being a worthless apostle. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time and if you know your Bible at all, you know that is such a ridiculous thing to say, that Paul would be a worthless apostle. There are very few human beings that contributed more to the growth and expansion of Christianity than the apostle Paul. He was huge. But the Corinthians were really asking the question, does your ministry, Paul, have any value? You see, they had encountered these other teachers, some, some Jewish teachers and some people that later on in 2 Corinthians, we read about being called super apostles. And these people were saying, hey, we're better than Paul. We have more to offer than Paul. And, and the, the Corinthians were kind of being sucked in. And, 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 and Paul was experiencing this opposition to the gospel from the Corinthians. As strange as that is, he was experiencing conflict. He was experiencing pushback. And listen, you and I both know that the last thing we want when we're trying to shine Jesus into people's lives, the last thing that we want is conflict. And if you've experienced conflict or opposition when you've been shining Jesus into people's lives, I want you to know, don't be discouraged. It happened even to Paul. And Paul was the best one who ever lived at doing this. And and so, in, in some ways, I think we can expect opposition. We can expect pushback. And I want to pick up now in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 3. Here's what Paul says. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, here's this veil metaphor again. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now there's a whole lot there, and I'm going to ask Shane to just keep that verse up there on the screen. I want to talk about a couple of things in this verse just to bring a little bit of clarity if this doesn't make complete sense to you. First of all, he's talking about shining the light into the lives of unbelievers. You see the word unbelievers there on the the fifth line down, okay? When we shine the light of Jesus on unbelievers, uh, they're, they're Their eyes are blinded by what Paul calls the God of this world. Anybody want to guess who that is? The God of this world is Satan. It's the deceiver. He is the one who is trying to capture as many hearts and minds as possible and separate them from God. Satan, now we learned something new about the veil. Satan is the one who sometimes will veil people from seeing the clear light of Jesus. So even when we choose to lift the veil, we're just letting the light shine, and we're doing our very best to help people discover Jesus. There is a spiritual opposition at work that is keeping people blinded. Now, the other thing that I think is really interesting in this verse is up there uh, in the the, uh, second and third lines. The gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. I found this phrase very interesting, and I pushed into the meaning of this phrase a little bit, and what I found is that in the Greek language, the New Testament is written in Greek, in the Greek language, this word is very specific. This is talking about people who are actively choosing to die. Not physical death, but spiritual death. This is talking about people who are making choices on purpose, Choices that will lead to death, okay? Now, I've heard people say, if you keep living that way, you're going to go straight to hell. Have, has, maybe somebody's told that to you. Really an unkind thing to say, isn't it, right? Because we can't judge anybody's eternal destiny. Paul isn't saying these people are going to hell. But he is saying these are people who are living a life, which the, the, the consequences of which are death. They are perishing. Does that make sense to you? And so you and I have these people in our lives. We are encountering these people in our lives. They might be family members, they they could be coworkers, they could be classmates if you're in school. These people have been blinded by the God of this world. And so what's happening here is we are shining the light of Jesus into the lives of these unbelievers And we are wading right into spiritual conflict. Now, the challenge we have is sometimes spiritual conflict can look a lot like personal conflict. But what Paul is saying to us is, listen, there's a spiritual conflict that's at place, and you've got to know how to deal with this. Let me read one more verse to you, and and then I'll share with you where we're going. Verse 7 in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, but, in spite of the fact that we have all this conflict, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now, this last week in in our small group, we were working through uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And, and, and we've got some folks in our small group that are new to the Bible, and, and boy, all the metaphors that Paul uses can really be confusing. If, if you are reading through 2 Corinthians with us, there's a whole lot of metaphors, and it takes some time and some study to figure out what they are. Here, Paul says, we have a treasure in jars of clay, I'm going to explain to you exactly what that means, and we're going to go back to the Old Testament. But first, I, I, wanna know, I, I want you to know where we're going. Here's our destination today. Jesus is our navigator, and he's taking us somewhere. Here's where we're going today. This is what I want you to know. You've got to deploy spiritual strategies whenever you encounter spiritual opposition. In other words, what I'm, what I'm saying here is we can be tempted to fight with people when we believe that we're right and they are wrong. But when you discern that you are facing spiritual opposition, spiritual conflict, you've got to discover the spiritual strategies that you can de- deploy or you're never going to be effective at shining the light into the lives of unbelievers. Where we're going today is to deploy spiritual strategies whenever you encounter spiritual opposition. Does this make sense? I'm gonna share four strategies with you today that I think will help whenever you find yourself facing spiritual opposition. And and these principles can apply to any kind of conflict that you might encounter, not just with with unbelievers, but this is especially what I wanna talk about today. So now, if you have your Bibles, uh, would you turn to the Old Testament book of Judges, and we're going to hang out in Judges chapter 7, and this is where we're going to discover the meaning of what it, what it is to have a treasure in jars of clay. Paul loved the Old Testament writings, and, and a lot of the metaphors that he uses in 2 Corinthians come from the Old Testament this one is in Judges chapter 7. I, I don't have any of this up on the screen, so if you want to follow along visually, turn in your Bibles there. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation now, now that we're in this, this account. Now, let me say this. This is a historical record. Judges chapter 7 is a historical record of a war that took place between the people of Israel and the armies of Midian. Midian was an ancient nation in in the Middle East that was one of the main enemies of Israel, and there was this conflict that was taking place with them. And and today, I just want to put all my cards on the table. Uh, We're looking for spiritual insight from this account today, and understanding that none of us are called by God to go and kill people who aren't following Jesus, okay? That probably goes without saying, but I just want to put that out there, okay? Our call is not to destroy people. Our call is to bring people to Jesus who will save them from themselves, okay? So we're reading about a war, but how we're going to apply this is in a spiritual way. I'm using this as a metaphor because that's what Paul does. And and I want to remind you, we've said this so many times, everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. And so what we're going to see here is is pointing to the life of Jesus and and how we can live in in the light of Jesus and and learn these strategies. So we're going to start uh, right at the beginning of Judges chapter 7. Are you there with me? Okay, Judges chapter 7. Uh, Here we read about a guy by the name of Gideon. Do you remember Gideon? Some of you might remember Gideon. Gideon was this guy who was called by God to become a a deliverer of of Israel. And when he heard God speak to him, he's like, You're not talking to me. I I mean, I'm not that guy, right? And and so then he started testing to see if if God was really talking to him, and and he put out a fleece. Do you remember the whole story about the fleece? Okay, here's the deal about fleeces. Gideon wanted to test God and see if God was really talking to him accurately, so he just kept changing it up and trying to trick God. God, every time, confirmed what he was saying to Gideon. Anyway, this is the guy that now we're reading about in chapter 7 who is engaged in a war with the armies of Midian. Here we go. So Gideon, and there's his other name there that I can't even say. Gideon and his army got up early, and they went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. And the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people... Whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 people who were willing to fight. Now, listen, this is not Warfare 101. This doesn't make any sense from a military perspective. Why would you send home two-thirds of your army when you're going to engage in a battle? okay? You you, you remember President Bush when he said we're going to bomb the Middle East and it's going to be what? Shock and awe. We're going to bomb the crap out of them, okay? That's military 101, right? God says, listen, no, this is different. Why? Because this is spiritual opposition. Something different is going on here. This is not physical battle. This is spiritual opposition. God says you've got to have a spiritual strategy, and we're going to start by sending two-thirds of the army home so that you know that that there's a God in heaven. It's different. I'm going to keep reading. Then the Lord said to Gideon, I'm in verse 4, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. And when Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all of those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. And in the other group, put all of those who kneeled down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. And the Lord said to Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give the victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and the ram's horns and the other warriors from the other warriors and sent them home. But he kept the 300 men with him. Now, spoiler alert, Israel's going to win this war. But God's going to do it in a completely different way. What we can learn from this is the first strategy. Whenever you encounter spiritual opposition, here's strategy number one. Get direction from the Lord. Get direction from the Lord. Listen, what your brain might tell you to do might be completely different than what the Lord has in mind for fighting this battle, for giving you success and shining the light into somebody's life. If you're encountering opposition and and you're not finding any kind of breakthrough, it might be because you're using the wrong strategy, because you're deploying the wrong strategy in this spiritual opposition. It's probably not because you don't know the Bible well enough, it's probably not because you need more training. It's probably not because you're not a mature Christian. See, we tell ourselves all these things. I I would be better at sharing Jesus if I just knew the Bible better. I just need more training. I'm just not, we have all these reasons why we can't. Listen, the first thing you gotta do is you gotta get a word from the Lord. Because when he gives you direction, when he gives you strategy, that's when you're gonna find yourself victorious in the spiritual struggle. Here's what Paul says in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians. Paul says, we are human, but we don't wage war like humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We've got to get directions from the Lord. Had a conversation just a couple of days ago with a connector. Who told me a story, and and we were just, we were just hanging out, shooting the breeze. Uh, he didn't even know I was talking about this this Sunday, but but my friend was telling me the story, and and, and he he was telling me about this this guy that he works with, who has a Jewish last name. And, and he said, I've known this guy for about two years. And uh, when I first met him, I noticed that he has a Jewish last name. And because, you know, I, I'm, I'm always looking for ways to share Jesus with people. So when I first met him, I said to him, uh, I, I, I see that your name is such and such. And are you Jewish? And the guy said, yeah, I am Jewish. And he said, well, were you raised as an Orthodox Jew? And the guy said, yes, I was. And, and he said, well, tell me a little bit about your spiritual upbringing. And he said, no, I'm not interested in sharing that with you. Opposition. Okay, my friend was trying to open a spiritual conversation, and this guy was like, nope, not going there. And and and. And my friend was wise enough to know, okay, there's opposition here. I better, I better just wait until I know what God wants me to say to this guy. So he just waited, and he respected those boundaries. That this guy doesn't want to have any kind of a spiritual conversation. And then finally, two years goes by, and just last week, they were working together overnight. They were, they were on an overnight project, and this guy begins sharing with him that he's encountered a a profound tragedy in his life. And so so, uh, as they're talking, the Jewish guy says, you're religious. What's your religion all about? He opened the door. And the response was just to share John 3.16 with him. Now, he'd been asking the Lord for two years, how can I share Jesus with this guy that is walled off? So he said, well, God loves people so much, loves them so much that he sent his son to die so that all of us could put our faith in Jesus and be reconciled back to the Father and we'll spend eternity with the Lord. And the Jewish guy goes, what's the Jewish version of that? Well, Yahweh loved people so much that he sent his son. His son's name is Yeshua. And Yeshua came as the final sacrifice so that nobody ever has to go to the temple and offer sacrifices ever again because he made one sacrifice that ended all the sacrifices, and now we can all be uh, reconciled back to Yahweh. You know what this guy said? Heck yeah, how do I sign up for that? Breakthrough. Breakthrough. Listen. I I went to Bible school. One of the first classes I ever took was Evangelism 101. I took a course on how to share Jesus with people, okay? And we learned all these different things, and I know the textbook. Listen, I've never used any of those strategies. It just... What a waste of a few thousand dollars on that class. Because if you're going to shine the light of Jesus into somebody who's got spiritual opposition, you're going to need to get direction from the Lord and do it differently than you think you do. Okay? And that's when you're going to find somebody opening up to Jesus like this Jewish brother did. Now Here's, here's the end of the story. It's kind of comical. Um, we, we were talking and, and he said, by the time he said, heck yeah, how do I sign up for that? He said, we'd come to the end of our shift and we were standing out by our cars. And, and he, he said, I know I should have closed the deal and asked if I could pray with him. But I just said, we'll talk about it more later. And then they got in their cars and drove. So it's still ongoing, but if... If I get an update, I'll let you know how that's going. Get direction from the Lord. Okay, let's keep reading about Gideon. I'm picking up in verse 8 of Judges 7. Now the Midian camp was in the valley just below Gideon, and that night the Lord said, again, here's God speaking to Gideon, which is awesome. Get up, go down into the Midian camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura. Everybody say, Pura. Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged, and then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp, and the armies of Midian and Amalek and the people of the east had settled in the valley, look at, like a swarm of locusts. you remember how many people Gideon had? 300. Their camels were like the grains of the sand on the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept up just as a Midianite man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midian camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. And his companion answered, your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all of its allies. And this was a game changer for Gideon. Remember Gideon and the fleeces? He was always trying to see if God was going to really do what he said, right? Here's strategy number two, if you're taking notes. Listen for confirmation. Listen for confirmation. Listen, we can, we can feel a little insecure. We hear God give us direction. We know what he's saying to our hearts. And sometimes we're just not sure if that makes any sense. But do you know how good God is? He will give you confirmation if you just listen for it. It's all through the scriptures. Just, just one verse that I'll use to, to, to share with you. In Mark chapter 16, it says that the disciples of Jesus went everywhere and they preached And the the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. Once you get direction from the Lord, if you just spend some time listening, open your eyes, pay attention, the Lord will give you confirmation. It's a really good biblical example of how to be effective at listening to the Lord and then acting on what he says. You might be asking, how do I how do I hear confirmation? How do I get confirmation? Well, if you hear God saying something to you, maybe run it by a friend, somebody, somebody that you trust spiritually. I run things by my spouse. Chris is very, very spiritually wise. I trust her implicitly. You could, you could run something that you feel like God has said to you by your, your small group. You could run it by your servant, Pura. Find somebody and ask for confirmation. This afternoon, Chris and I are meeting with a couple. If you were here with us several weeks ago when our missionaries, Jane and Cheryl Taylor, were with us, at the end of the message, I shared with all of you that I feel like the Lord is sharing with me that I need to reach out to somebody with with a a prophetic message for them. And I ran it by Chris, and this afternoon, we are meeting with a couple and... and, uh, Chris and I are on the same page. This is what the Lord is doing. This is what the Lord is saying. I can't wait. I can't wait to see what the Lord is going to do. Okay? So get direction from the Lord and then seek confirmation. Let's, Let's go to the next one. Strategy three. Picking up at verse 15. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. And then he returned to the Israelite camp and he shouted, Get up! For the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes, and he divided the 300 men into three groups, gave each man a ram's horn, and here we go, you ready? And a clay jar with a torch in it. Remember the jars of clay? A clay jar with a torch in it. And then he said to his army of 300 men, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of camp, do just as I do. And as soon as I and those with me blow the horns, blow your horns too, all around the entire camp and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, here's the third strategy I wanna share with you. Once you've gotten direction from the Lord and, and it's been confirmed, then what you do is you confront the spirit behind the conflict. What Gideon was leading his army to do was something that was spiritual. It had nothing to do with bows and arrows and swords and cannons and battering rams or nuclear weapons. None of those things. God had given him a strategy that was entirely spiritual and didn't depend on any kind of strength. What he was doing is he was confronting the spirit behind the conflict. What you and I need to know is that our confrontation, the opposition you may feel from somebody that doesn't have any interest in Jesus or, or even sometimes people are hostile to us because we're Christians, if you've been there, you gotta know it's not about the people, it's about the spirit that is motivating those people. Here's what Ephesians 6 says. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. You're not fighting with people, friends. You're you're confronting spirits in a spiritual realm. So you have to use spiritual weapons. What does this look like? Well, when you engage in the conflict, you might get angry. What would Jesus say? Jesus would say, turn the other cheek. That's confronting a spiritual enemy. You might get offended. Have you ever been offended by an unbeliever? What would Jesus say? Forgive them in the same way that you have been forgiven. You might be tempted to lecture and condemn and say, if you keep that up, you're going straight to hell. Just mean, ugly. Or you can confront the spirit behind the the conflict in your prayer chair. What does that look like? Oh God, I've got this friend. His mind has been veiled by the God of this world. God, my friend, is actively perishing. And today, God, I want to ask you to come and do battle in the heavenly realms. God, I want to ask you to deploy these super gigantic angels to go and slay the spiritual forces that are keeping my friend from seeing the truth. God, I'm praying, I'm interceding, I'm standing in the gap. My friend doesn't even know to reach out to you to pray, so I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to say, Jesus, slay those enemy spirits so that my friend can see the light. This is is what it means to confront the spirit behind the conflict. And you can can get specific. God, I know that my friend has believed something that isn't true. My my friend has believed that there is a God that is more powerful than you. God, I pray that you will take him out of this false belief and, and reveal truth to him. See, you're confronting this spirit that's behind the conflict. It happens in your prayer chair. Or in your prayer closet, or wherever you like to pray. Maybe in the car on your way to work. But you confront that spirit behind the conflict. Does this make sense? Okay, let me wrap up. We got one more strategy. Judges 7, starting at verse 19. Now we see what happens. It's so awesome. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp and suddenly they blew the ram's horns and they broke their clay jars. And then all three groups blew their horns and they broke their jars and they held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands and they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched. They, they didn't do anything. They just watched as the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they tried to escape. They were trying to escape from 300 dudes with torches. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Awesome. Here's the fourth strategy I want to share with you, and I, I, want, I want you to stay with me because this is, this is really where I want to land the plane today. Fourth strategy is this. You've got to be willing to break your jar. What was inside the jars? Light. Light. But they had to break the jars for the light to shine out. Let me take you back to 2 Corinthians 4. It's up on the screen. Just look at the screen. Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. What's the treasure? The light. It's Jesus shining out from you because you are radiating the life of Jesus. But it's in this clay jar. What's the clay jar? It's our bodies, it's our humanness, it's who we are. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This is a direct reference to the, the fight of Gideon. Gideon won the battle with his human wisdom and, and his superior firepower. He won the battle because God won the battle for him. And then Paul goes on. Look at this next verse. Paul says, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. This is talking to these jars of clay. We get afflicted, but the good news is we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but God never forsakes us. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Now listen, you and I can get so afraid of the persecution, or the rejection, or the ridicule, or the conflict that we just want to keep our jars intact. But the light will never shine out of your jar if you're not willing to break the jar. And you and I have got to be willing to step out and take a risk that might be a big risk, or the light will never penetrate the darkness. I can hold my jar up in my hand and just say, let light shine out. But until the jar is broken, nothing's ever going to happen. Are you willing to pay the price? Shining light into the lives of people who are perishing might cost you a lot. Here's what Jesus said. God blesses you when people mock you. God blesses you when people persecute you. God blesses you when people lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you because you are my followers. We can just hold on to that that jar of clay And we might never take the risk to let people mock us or persecute you or lie about us. Are you willing to take the risk? Jesus says you're blessed. The next verse, man, this stuff messes you up. Jesus says be happy about it. Woo-hoo. Be very glad. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Why? Because a great reward awaits you in heaven. What's the reward? What if my brother, who is so hostile to Jesus right now, what what if I what if I take the risk, break my jar of clay, and let the light of Jesus really shine to it? And what if he turns to Jesus and he's saved, and we spend eternity together? Could there be a better reward in heaven? <laughs> Not much better rewards in this life either. But but. It, It it means you have to break the jar. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Did you think it was Jesus? Turns out you're the light too. Like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Nobody lights a lamp and leaves it in a clay jar. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for everybody to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. What would it look like for you to take a risk? What would it look like for you to break your jar of clay? We've got a lot of connectors that do all the time. I had another conversation this week with Missy. Missy, will you come? And um, I was so moved when, when Missy was telling me this story. Yeah, there you go. I was so moved, Missy, when you were all, get out of your way. When you were sharing your story with me.
1: All right. Um, I just had the opportunity to sit down with Russ this week and um, share about um, our prayer walking group. Um, there's been many stories and many encounters that we have had. And um, just one of them um, was one time I was sharing, um, it was probably about a year ago, um, there was about eight of us um, that we, we just begin to pray about um, where we're gonna meet. And then we, um, we all gather at a certain time. And we get out and we, um, we first gather together as a group and we talk about our prayer needs and if there's anything that we need to lift up for each other. And then we begin to ask the Lord for discernment of the neighborhood that we're in. We ask um, him to give us empathy for others that are in the, the neighborhoods. And we ask, us, ask him just to give us insight on site and so that particular night, um, we began walking around the neighborhoods, and um, we stood in front of a particular home, and I knew whose home it was, but not many others did. And um, we began to pray for a very long time, um, and one person said, "We cannot leave until we have a breakthrough here. We feel that there's something here." And um, and then when we got done, we just we just we felt so good about that. And then as we circled around the neighborhood, we came around to uh, another, um, uh, there were some people standing out in front of their uh, house. And, and all of a sudden, I just, I just looked up and I go, that's our next one. And then everybody in the group felt the same way. So we started heading toward this man. And um, all of a sudden he said, what are you all doing? you know, just out of curiosity, and I just said, "Um, we're just out in the neighborhood encouraging others. And um, he goes, are you from a church? And I said, well, there's eight of us, and we're representing a few different churches. And that particular night, we had River Rock of the Nazarene, we had Abundant Life, we had Summit, and we had Connect and Refuge all represented. So that was very cool because he said, whoa, that's cool, there's like more of you. I mean from, he goes, how did you get together? And we just started meeting and everybody asking, everyone else in and, and other churches started joining. So it was really cool. And um, he's like, and then we just started talking to him. And um, before um, we were kind of getting ready to walk away, he's like, well, aren't you gonna do what you do? And I was like, yeah, you mean pray? And I said, do you have a prayer need? And he just stood there, and he thought for a minute, and he goes, well, yeah, my father-in-law is not doing well health-wise. He goes, but I I don't do that praying stuff. And I said, well, you you don't have to do it. You can just let us do it. And he's like, okay. And so um, we began to pray over him, and wouldn't you know it, he had tears in his eyes, and and um, when we were done, he just stood and he just smiled and he's like, that was cool, man. That was cool. And, um, and then we walked away and every time we walk away from these experiences, we're so, so, so encouraged because God really just encourages us each and every time. I mean, we've been going into homes um, and we, you know, oftentimes we'll get together in the spring and we'll sit down. And everybody will write on index cards where their heart is and where they want to pray and then we begin to pray about how to plug that into our calendar and if something comes up that just doesn't quite fit in the calendar that week like if there's another need in the community we say we got to go do that instead we're not we're not sticking to the the written out calendar but we just go and we have just been so blessed and And um, we're getting started again this Tuesday night. Um, We're meeting um, the second and fourth Tuesdays of the month um, from six to eight, so if anyone wants to join us, you'll be so blessed. Thank you.
0: Can I just ask you a couple questions? Yeah, still (laughs) still here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Are you ever afraid?
1: I think when we first got started it was kind of like what's gonna happen? are they gonna reject us? are people gonna you know but I think the more we do it, God just increases that faith to not be afraid yeah, yeah.
0: and and um I just want to say thank you Missy because this is what this is what it looks like to break the jar yeah. getting out of your comfort zone, letting Jesus shine out, and taking a risk, because you could be rejected, you you could be ridiculed, mocked, Mm -hmm. but you're shining Jesus' light, and you're seeing the Lord do good things. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Give Missy a big hand, would you please? Okay. Those of you that are serving communion, would you take your places, and, uh, and we're gonna receive communion as we end. And um, as they're moving, all the rest of you stay with me for a second, okay? We're gonna, we're gonna receive communion today, but it's going to have a completely different focus than anything I've ever done before. Wasn't sure what we were gonna do today to end this teaching time, but uh, when we were praying in the back, I just felt like the Lord gave me a picture that today, sharing in the bread and the cup was going to be a prophetic act for us as a a community of Christ followers. What I mean by that is I'm gonna invite you to take the bread and the cup and eat it and drink it prayerfully with a person in your mind that you are eating and drinking on behalf of. Do you know what, I'm, what I mean by this? That this isn't gonna be for you today, this is gonna be on behalf of somebody that you are gonna stand in faith for that someday they will eat and drink in the kingdom of Jesus. And, 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 and you're gonna just stand in faith for them. Thank you, Bobby. So um, as as we're served, I'm going to pray. And I want you to ask the Lord to give you a name, give you a face. Who are you going to stand in the place of? Now, just before I pray, let me just say this. What I'm inviting you to do here has precedent in the Bible. I I know this is a little left of center, but in the book of Acts, we read about people taking handkerchiefs that Paul had carried and taking them to sick people and the people would be well just by the intercession of a handkerchief. Just keep on passing, would you please? Get everybody served. And so we are, we are gonna do this as an act of faith and a declaration that we are going to shine light into dark places. So I'm gonna pray. You don't have to close your eyes if you're being served. In fact, don't or it'll spill all over you. But just listen while I pray. Listen, God, I want to ask you today to give us a name. Every individual in this room, will you give us a name? Will you give us faith, Lord? I I pray so often, I I ask you to increase my faith because sometimes I feel like my faith is small. Lord, Will you increase our faith today? Every one of us in this room, will you give us more faith? So that we can really believe that you're gonna be at work in this person's life. And then Jesus, as we step out of our comfort zone and choose to break these jars of clay in whatever way that means for each individual, Lord, I pray that you will give us courage, that you will give us words, Lord, that you will give us very practical strategies for how we can effectively shine the light of Jesus into the dark places. Lord, we have people in our lives that we love deeply. And for some of us, because of the rejection and the uncomfortableness, we've just stopped shining. So today, Lord, we're gonna choose to break these jars of clay and let the light shine. Okay, now before we eat and drink, hang on just a second. If you're here today and you're not yet walking with Jesus, maybe this message is just for you. You need to know that Jesus loves you and his light is shining into your life. I want you to know that this bread and this cup is not anything that would ever condemn you, but this is an invitation for you to come into a life with Jesus. Everybody is welcome at Jesus's table. I would love nothing more than if you said yes to Jesus today. So I'm gonna pray for those of you today that are maybe saying yes to Jesus in this moment, I'm gonna pray for you right now, and then we're gonna pray for the people that we're eating and drinking for. So Jesus, for anyone in this room, anyone online, who is experiencing your light today, this blazing glory of God shining out, Jesus, I pray for that person. I pray, Jesus, that you will wash away every stain of sin and rebellion and compromise and mistakes and anything else that just needs to be cleansed away Jesus that's what you do and Jesus I pray that you will welcome these people whoever they are welcome them in to your kingdom this this world in which you are king Jesus Thank you, Lord. And for those of you that just said yes to that prayer that I just prayed, you're eating and drinking just for you today. It's going to be beautiful for you. Okay, now the rest of us. You got a name? You got a face in your head? Jesus, today we are going to eat this bread prophetically. Jesus we know that this bread represents your broken body that was given for all of us and in eating we remember that you exchange your wholeness for our brokenness we, we just make a trade you take the brokenness of this life and you make us whole you heal us you restore us you Bring us back to rightness. And today, Lord, we are praying for that exchange for the people that you have brought to mind today, Jesus. We just whisper those names, just, just real quiet, whisper that the name that you're standing in the place for. Now let's hear. And Lord, we're going to drink this cup together prophetically, knowing that it's your blood that washes away every sin. Knowing, Jesus, that this cup is the new covenant in your blood. It's not the covenant of rules. It's the covenant of relationship. And we've got people in our lives that need to know how much you love them and how much you desire to have a relationship with them. It's not about rules. It's coming to you. So, Jesus, thank you. And we drink prophetically for them. now, will you raise your hands like this? Lord Jesus, together as the people of God, we thank you for the gift of grace and for the gift of new life that we have experienced. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to intercede for people who don't know you yet. And today, Lord, We believe and we declare that light will shine in the darkness. We we believe and we declare that as we break our jars and let the light shine out, Jesus, you're gonna do something extraordinary. Jesus, we're gonna take risks. We're gonna be bold. We're gonna be courageous. And Jesus, we're gonna see people come to know you and we're gonna welcome them into the kingdom of God. Jesus, thank you for being our king. Thank you for being on the throne. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Everybody say amen. Amen. So be it. Okay. God bless you, everybody.